Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special interview edition of the Empire Podcast. Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, which is re-released in cinemas this week, just in time for its 48th anniversary, is one of the most controversial, outrageous, and cinematically thrilling films of all time. A lot of that is down to the incredible central performance of its star, Malcolm McDowell, who plays the psychotic whirling dervish at its heart, Alex DeLarge. McDowell, who lives in LA these days, was in town to talk about the movie, so I jumped at the chance to sit him down for a chat about the movie, about Kubrick, and his relationship with both. Time got away from us a little, but we talked a bit about one of my other favourite McDowell movies, Time After Time, and, full disclosure, as it's me and I can't let any Liverpool fan pass through here without a little chat about Jurgen Klopp's Mighty Reds, we talked about Liverpool Football Club right at the end. I had a blast with Malcolm McDowell, hope you do too. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of A Clockwork Orange, the great Malcolm McDowell. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, you've just been telling me sparkling water is good for your throat, which is interesting. I, I never knew that. Well, the, oh, those bubbles, they kind of work on the adenoids. <laughs> and um, when you have a little bit of a sore throat, as I do, uh-huh. I've got a bit of jet lag that just came in from L.A., so a little bit of sparkling water sparkling helps. Water. When did you discover that? Because I, I, I if I'm honest, I have always looked upon sparkling water as a, a, an abomination, and I have avoided it <laughs> all, all of my life. Well, but now I might use it. You don't know what you've missed. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, listen, uh, I, I, uh, that's all I drink. You know, yeah. We have one of those machines at home uh-huh. that you fill it with distilled water and then pump gas in it. Shoes it up, yeah. Soda stream is what we called them back in the... Uh, That's it, in the, soda, soda stream. You have a soda stream. Exactly, there exactly that. The things you learn, the things you learn. Yeah. Malcolm, obviously you're here because a Clockwork Orange is being re-released in cinemas. First mm-hmm. time in, I believe, 19 years, which is incredible. And it's 48 years since the movie was released. I know, that's staggering. <laughs> Don't even go there. <clears throat> Do not even go there. But 48 years is a long time to have a relationship with anything. And I think... Uh, mm people's relationships with movies can change. What's been your relationship with The Clockwork Orange over the years? Has has it changed at all in that time? Oh, completely. I think for the first five years, I resented it. I mm-hmm. was sick of it. You know, I'd done it, and I was moving on. And, and everybody wanted me to do the same damn part. And, and there's only one part like that, and mm. that's it. It was, you know, such a great masterpiece of a book that Burgess wrote, Anthony Burgess. Mm-hmm. And of course, a great film that uh, Kubrick directed. You know, you can't really do much better than that. But for an actor, <clears throat> you can't live in the past or on your laurels. You have to move on. You know, you have to do other stuff. And, um, you know, I'm a working actor, so I was just more interested in moving on, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I rather resented it at first. Because you were getting parts, you were getting offered well, scripts. Just, there was you know, people there. just wanted to talk about that, you know, nothing else. <clears throat> and they couldn't get past it. Well, of course, I understand now why. Because it was such a groundbreaking film. It had such a special look to it and sound, you know. Mm. It was unique in every way. And people, of course, copied everything about it. Even band names, you know, were copied. The colored wigs, the colored makeups. Uh, David Bowie dressed like me for, you know, many shows. <laughs> Which must have been surreal. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, um, you know, my thought at the time was, well, 
can't he come up with something original? But to be honest with you, <clears throat> David Bowie could do whatever he wanted. He's just a genius. You know, yeah. I loved him. Uh, but um, I don't know, you know. Uh, so then, then after maybe 10 years, um, and the film was withdrawn here in England. Yes. But in the rest of the world, you could see it. And um, so what I was getting was from, you know, universities. All the kids were putting up the posts, uh, pictures of my face with the eyelash and all the rest of it. And the <clears throat> the kids were really interested in me coming to talk to them about it. And uh, that I found a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, found a whole new audience. Mm. And I think every generation they find this movie. And, and they, they find it and discover it as their own. You know, this is basically the first really serious bit of film that they see. You know, so so now it, it's like a, a wonderful old mistress <laughs> comes back every few years to say hello, and I embrace it and I love it, and and I think the film. I mean, look, uh, I knew that I was making a really special film, but how could anyone know that we'd still be talking about it forty eight, fifty years later? No, mm. it's it's a unique in film history, and. Um, you know, it gets played at universities and museums and ad infinitum. So, you know, it's a real social document, really. Mm. It's become bigger than just a movie, you know. And um, it's one of Stanley's great films. He's made many more. Yeah. 2001, which is a masterpiece, of course. Strange Love is one of my favorites. Amazing film. But I also love Lolita and um, Paths of Glory. I, I think it's a fantastic film. And, you know, he's just made so many great films. So there you are. When I went to meet Stanley Kubrick, he'd done Paths of Glory, Lolita, Spartacus, 2001. <laughs> a Strange Love, 2001. Yeah. Clockwork Orange. So he was a god, you know. But, of course, I was a young actor and completely naive. And I thought I was going to meet Stanley Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> so my How agent explained, he goes, no, 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 not Kramer, no, no, Kubrick. And you're frantically cramming in the car on the yeah, way over. Yeah, I'm Kubrick, going, oh my Kubrick, God. Kubrick, <clears throat> Well, of course, it's before Google, you know. And then Lindsay Anderson, who's a great friend, wonderful yep. director, he took me to see 2001. And we sat there in awe of it, actually. Mm. Because when Lindsay came out, he goes, well, uh, but what was the ending was such nonsense. But uh, I, I just thought the film was extraordinary. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's so well, well worth seeing again, and especially that film. If you could ever see it on a big screen, I would say do go. You 70 millimeter. Yeah. I, oh, I had, I had well, the, the pleasure a few years ago. Did you? Yeah, it was tremendous. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Kubrick was that he never stayed still. No. Obviously, he took a long time between projects, but he was creatively restless to the point where 2001 was the antithesis of Dr. Strangelove, Clockwork Orange is the antithesis of mm. 2001, Barry Lyndon after that, then he does a horror film with The Shining, Vietnam yeah. War with Full Metal Jacket is, is well, I think the, be the first half of Full Metal Jacket is actually some of the best film he shot. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Then it becomes a little conventional, I find, but... It's a great film. Mm. I mean, they're all extraordinary. You know, everyone is different. Stanley is truly a great director simply because he made 
you know, films in every genre. And, and mm. I don't think any other directors ever made quite that kind of an impact Absolutely. that he did. So you, you had a, a complicated relationship with The Clockwork Orange over the years. And did you have mm. a, a complicated relationship with Kubrick in a way as well? Because re-watching the film yeah. for this interview, it struck me just how much physical and mental torment he must have put you through. Obviously, there's the, the famous Ludovico technique sequence mm. where you, you, you scraped your cornea uh, on the, uh, the rims. Um, but you're, you're drenched in troughs. You are beaten black and blue. And I imagine because it's right. Kubrick, not just for a single take constantly and constantly and constantly right so right. Was, was there any point where you looked at, at, at Stanley almost as an adversary whilst making the film sometimes one weighed the fact that you know a little discomfort but starring in a Stanley Kubrick film <laughs> where does the the weight of the scales go I mean yeah. of course it's a, it was a great honor to be in the movie and I loved working with him and the truth is, if you see the film, you can see that. I, I love the man. And mm. we got on, you know, really well for the main, you know, it was uh, an extraordinary relationship and one of great cooperation, actually, between the two of us because uh, one idea led to another. It's hard to say who did what, but, you know, there would be no look like that if I hadn't had my cricket whites in the car. There'd be no eyelash if I didn't find the eyelash at Bieber, a yard yeah. of it. Yeah. And there would be no singing in the rain. There'd be no... A lot of stuff. So yeah. a lot of stuff came out of inspiration. And as Alex would say, and what bog sends down. <laughs> it's just that sometimes um, when you're working, it, you know, there's a whole section at the end of the chewing scene in the hospital. Mm. And when the Minister of the Interior is wrapping up the film and he's got a long speech, and I could see Stanley getting very bored with this, and I thought, oh, my God, he's going to cut it. So I suddenly opened my mouth uh, to hurry him up, and, of course, Stanley <laughs> started laughing. So I, he stuck his handkerchief in his mouth, and he had to walk away. And we, the whole section, the whole scene is based on that one physical element. Amazing. Amazing. And, and it really is, um, I mean, you listen, but, you know, it, it gives it a whole different color. And, and it really uh, lifts the end, you know. What sort of conversations did you have initially with, with Kubrick about Alex? Because I've, I've, I've seen and I've read a couple of interviews with Kubrick where he describes Alex as, as evil. And was that something you agreed with him on? And did you see, and how did you see your way into that character? Well, I wish he'd had this conversation with me. <laughs> I once asked him, you know, what have you got? What, what can you tell me about? And he goes, that's why I hired you. <laughs> I'm serious. Wow. Uh, I had no talk whatsoever about the personality of Alex. Uh -huh. uh, and I said, well, why did you cast me? And he said, because you show intelligence on the screen. I'm serious. That's what he told me. Wow. And I went, but uh, he's a thug. He said, yes, an intelligent one. <laughs> he likes Beethoven. Um, I had no real talk about... Well, actually, the truth is this, mm -hmm. is that I suddenly got very worried about how I was going to play it because I'd been with Stanley for... oh eight months or whatever it was, pre-production, doing the look, the this, every single thing, 
except really talking about who Alex was. Mm. And so I picked up the phone. I called my friend Lindsay Anderson. I said, Lindsay, would you please read the script? He goes, uh, must I? <laughs> I said, please, would you? you I, I'm really having a problem now. We're only a week away, and I really don't know how to play this at all. I've got no idea. He went, bring it over. I took him the script. He read it. And um, well, the first thing he said was, thank God I don't have to direct this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heart sank. I went, it's not your kind of material. I know that. But he goes, Malcolm, I'll tell you how to play it. This is the singly the one of the greatest piece of directions I've ever had from a director. Okay. He said, there's a scene in If, when you come into the gymnasium where you're going to be beaten, you look around and you look at the prefects and you smile. He said, that's how you play Alex. And I went, yes. Oh, my God, thank you. I get it. Yeah. I get it. So in one just small little piece of advice that was so on the nail. So the first day of shooting, mm. I had this image in my mind. Only on the first day, then I forgot about it. And I didn't <laughs> remember about this for a, till a couple of years later, actually. The first scene, basically, was when Madge Ryan comes in as the doctor in the Ludovico treatment thing after I've had a treatment and gives me a shot in the ass. Yes. Kubrick's theory was that he would like me to take a real shot. And I went, why do I have to take a real shot? Surely, I mean, she's not a doctor. She won't. She... And he goes, It'll, it just look really, really way better. You, I, but, but those retractable needles, you can't tell. He goes, Malcolm, really, I would. So she comes in. I, I can see now that she's got sweat on her top lip. She's shaking a bit. This is Madge Ryan. She's yeah. a West End actress, yeah. you know. And um, so I, I smile at her because I remember. Smile. <laughs> smile. Take my pajamas down. Stick my ass in her face, basically. She threw this needle into my ass like it was going into a rhino. <laughs> it literally shot up to the hilt. And she started a dialogue and she was very, very nervous. Her hand was shaking. And she literally just squirted it right into my bum. And a huge welt. Now, I'm still smiling, uh -huh. by the way. Uh -huh. A huge welt came like this. The pain was so extraordinary that I literally shot up out of the bed and sort of was screaming, fucking hell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Dancing around the set, trying to rub it away. It, it took, I mean, it was a great, huge, like bump on my Bloody ass, hell. you know, for, for an hour or so. Yeah. Until it had sort of dispersed. And I said, Stanley, you know, we I'm not doing that again. That's just crazy. I mean, he goes, well, let's just use the other needle then. And of course, <laughs> and what would be the point? There's no point. It, it looks the same. You yeah. can't tell. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I understood that, you know, that Stanley would go for kind of realism like that. Mm -hmm. Um, he would think that you'd get something out of it. The only thing out of it was a big welt on my ass. <laughs> but uh, that was... That's day one. <laughs> that was day, day one. one. And I smiled as long as I could. Yeah. And um, 
And in a weird way, that smile of Alex actually is sort of sinister and creepy. And, um, it's become the defining image of the film. It has. In, in so many ways. And really, I have Lindsay Anderson to thank for that. Although, you know, there, there's a look when he's listening to Beethoven and, and in a kind of trance. Um, we tried various looks, and the one that he loved the most was when my eyes kind of roll back and my mouth gets set, you know, and when when I kind of did that, Stanley went, that's great, That that's the one, that's the one. <laughs> and that's the one we kind of used a lot when I, when he's listening to Beethoven and, and all that, you know. Yeah. And so, so Kubrick was clearly open to improvisation and to ideas. You mentioned there the singing in the rain ad lib, which was which was your idea. The thing that blows my mind about that is that you came up with the idea of singing in the rain, and within a few hours, he had bought the rights mm. to the song. Uh, given well, the way it was being used, <laughs> I have no idea how he managed to clear that. We didn't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> he just said, "Look, um, Stanley Kubrick, I'd like to use thirty seconds or a minute, whatever it was." I, th- I thought that he told me, I could be wrong, that it, it, he paid $10,000 for it. Wow. Nothing. Nothing, because it literally is the linchpin of the movie. Mm. Now, I didn't know that. I mean, look, I was just, you know, I was just desperate to find a way to do this because everything, we we just shot the end of the movie in the, in the hospital. Mm. And thumbs up and I was cured all right and the transformation and you know it, it was surreal and it, it it wasn't realistic but it was real so that it the performance in the film was heightened and pushed really a, as far as you could go in reality without it going into farce mm. and it's a very fine line and so when we came to do the sequence, you know, after shooting the end, which was, we were felt, oh, my God, we hit a home run with that. It was a big letdown. We were kind of depressed and just sat there for a few days doing nothing. And, and Kubrick the same. And he changed the furniture, Harrods vans come, more furniture, more change, this, da, 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 you know. And on the fifth day, he just walked past me. I was sitting on these steps, just sitting there. And he just said, as he walked past, can you dance? Now, I was so bored just sitting around. I leapt up and I went, can I dance? (laughs) And I went straight into Singing in the Rain without even thinking about it at all. And on the beats, I was, you know, whacking her and... and, um, And Pat McGee, you know. uh, and, And I looked at Stanley and again... He was just, I could see him tearing up with laughter. So he was laughing so wickedly hard. That, and he just goes, get in the car, we've got it. We, we, this is the way. We, <laughs> and we, we bought it, came back and started to deconstruct it and shoot it. And it took a week to shoot. Wow. Because the cane would break and, oh, everything went, you know, it was crazy. But the whole thing of singing in the rain and, and I remember saying to him, well, maybe that's what I should be singing in the bath when Pat McGee, and he goes, yeah, we'll have that there. But it was, you know, it was another device. Yeah. Um, it really, it really worked. And and also singing in the rain, of course, is such a, you know, euphoric Hollywood moment. And you corrupted utterly. I mean, it's... Corrupted, yeah. yeah. Totally, 
totally and ruined. <laughs> and so it? a year later when I went to Hollywood, um, I had the chance to meet Gene Kelly, who, you know, I admired tremendously. Who hadn't? I mean, American in Paris and all of these wonderful films. And he was such a an energetic, uh, almost like a, an Olympic athlete. He was a, compared to, you know... Um, other great dancers, you know. And um, so I went to a party and, uh, you know, old Hollywood stars were at the party and I was thrilled to see them, you know, lad from Liverpool, let loose in Beverly Hills. And uh, <laughs> the minder I was with said, uh, you know, Gene Kelly's here. Do you want to meet him? I went, yes, please. He tapped him on the shoulder and Gene turned around, looked at me. He goes, Gene, I'd like you to meet Malcolm McDowell. He's in, and he just looked at me and he kind of froze. And it was, I got the feeling that he was looking like I was a toad under a stone or something. And he just turned on his heel and walked away. Oh, uh, I know. But it, you know, but daintily. <laughs> he dan- did he dance yeah. away or did he? <laughs> no, he didn't dance away. <laughs> Swing around the lamppost. He let me know that he didn't approve. Okay. And... And really, you know, of course it was innocent. Um, you know, listen, it was a great tribute to him. Yeah. It was a great tribute to him. And, and um, he just didn't see it quite that way. No, of course yeah. not. He hated it. But yeah. anyway, I told this story 40 years later at the Academy. And um, this lady came up and said, hi, Malcolm, I'm Gene's widow. And let me tell you, he wasn't pissed with you. He was pissed with Stanley. And I went, well, why? And he goes, well, Stanley never paid him. <laughs> I went, well, me too, hon. So we had something in common there. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. No wonder yeah. you had an interesting, uh, complicated relationship with this film. Yeah. If it made Gene Kelly spin away from you at a party. Um, but going back to the idea of how the film has changed and how people's relationships with the film has changed mm. over the years, it's fascinating to see how the film is received today in terms of its attitudes towards violence in terms of its attitudes towards sexual violence and 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 women as well as portrayal of women is something that you know is is a criticism of the film over the years as well what's your take in that uh, and how the film will be received today i think uh, obviously it's changed enormously in almost 50 years when it came out nobody could get past the violence it was all the violence the violence i'm like it's not even that violent you know have you seen some of peckinpah's movies if you want violence, that's a ballet of violence. Mm. But, you know, of course, clockwork is a sort of psychological violence. And um, I could see, you know, that when it first came out, it was overwhelming. You know, the look, the sounds, the language, the music, everything was extraordinary and overwhelming at the time. But as of time gone it's gone by you know that um i think that the impact of the film has changed we've gone away from the violence people are seeing the comedy young kids see this they laugh all the way through and the one thing that's consistent i think is that the political element of the film is still relevant mm. the freedom of man to choose mm-hmm. and i think that's, you know, especially today, look what's happening in America and here, too, for different reasons. But um, it's the freedom of the individual to choose. And, you know, Burgess makes it rather difficult because he makes the hero or anti-hero 
an immoral man. Mm -hmm. So that we have a dilemma, you know. He's an immoral man who's charming and who is obviously very intelligent, loves Beethoven. Can't be all bad. And that's, that's the horns of the dilemma. Yeah. And that's what really pissed off the liberals, you know, is that um, they felt that they were manipulated to like someone who was immoral. Well, hey, you know. Mm. Absolutely. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling this one's going to be talked about for another 50 years uh, as well. Before I let you go, Malcolm, there's a couple of things I, 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 I can't let you be in this booth and not talk to you about. One is Time After Time. Mm, lovely film. Yeah. Is that a film that comes up for you often? Because it's, it's one of those films that I, I, I talk about quite often in the podcast. It's got such yeah. a wonderful hook to it. H.G. Mm. Wells and Jack the Ripper yeah. moved to modern-day San Francisco and the chase begins. It's incredible. It's a beautiful film, and um, I, I'm, I, I love it, and I love playing H.G. Wells. You know, I, I knew someone at the BBC when I was offered the part, and I thought I better you know, do some research if I'm going to go to America and make a movie, you know, I better get the method going here. So I'll, I'll find out a little bit about H.G. And, and maybe if I can hear his voice, I can really... So they sent me a recording of him on a record, 78 uh, record, of uh, an interview that he gave in 1928 or something. Oh, well, okay. And I put this thing on, it was popping and scratched and bang. But his voice was... High pitch, <laughs> South London voice, like that. And I thought, there's no fucking way I can go to Hollywood and talk like that. They're going to go, what? H.G. Wells? Nah, nah. <laughs> so that was the idea. So I sent wow. the record back and I went, nah, I'm just going to have to do my own version of it, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, of course he was a great socialist. He mm. was... Uh, you know, women's liver before his time, as it were. And he was such a beautiful, whimsical character. It was so much fun playing whimsy. You know, it's mm. something that one is very rarely asked to do. Yeah. And uh, it was just such a beautiful time. It was also, San Francisco is just such a great city, you know, mm. to be there in the summer and going to these wonderful locations and then... You know, falling in love with Mary and yeah. um, a hell of a thing. Yeah. A hell of a thing. Can, uh, it came can, out, can be better than that. Absolutely. Really. It came out the same year as Caligula. Uh, if you ever come back in the podcast, we'll talk about that in detail as well. That, uh, that's a whole podcast <laughs> on its own. <clears throat> it really is. But the last thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, you, you said that you, you, know, you grew up in Liverpool. I understand that you went to Liverpool games quite a lot when you were a kid. I did. You were on the cop quite a lot. I'm a Absolutely. big red. I'm a huge red. Are you? I'm big red. This is one of the reasons I'm here. <laughs> and I knew that. Uh, yes, well, there's a big game tonight. And it could be a banana skin, this one. Could be. But, you know, listen, um, whatever you can say, I don't care who you support, you know, to have Jurgen Klopp in the premiership is just a privilege. We are lucky we got him. United are kicking themselves. <laughs> because they really wanted him. And um, Jurgen Klopp is uh, just up there with Shankly, for me. is one of the greats, and I just love watching him and listening to him. 
We have a great team. Look at the way they played against Bayern. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's fantastic. Tremendous. I mean, it's a wonderful time to be a Liverpool supporter. That's all. Enjoy the ride. I don't care. <laughs> Listen, I don't care whether we win or not the league this year. I, <laughs> I of course I care. <laughs> I'm lying through my teeth. But but I will I be mortified if we don't win, though? I will not. Because Manchester City, I have to say, are an incredible team. Mm. And if they win it, they damn well deserve it. And they're amazing. Um, even though they've got our ex-player, the bastards. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. This, I know, this, this could be, again, Malcolm, this could be a whole podcast in, I know, in and I of know. itself. But, but anyway, listen, enjoy the ride. We're, yeah. we're loving it. I just we, want, we won't love it tonight if they don't win. But I think um, we will. I think we will. Yeah. But I just want to ask very quickly mm-hmm. about if you were in the cop in the 60s, uh, one of my enduring memories of, of watching Liverpool as a kid was a, a video of Match of the Day or the BBC yeah. had dispatched a reporter to, to Liverpool in the 60s. Yeah. And the cop, thousands oh. of people swaying as one. 23,000 or something. Uh, amazing. Standing. She, she loves you and oh, you never walk oh, alone. Oh, and that's the moment oh. you fall in love with it. Oh, yeah. It blows my mind to think that a young Malcolm McDowell might have yeah. been on that cop in that crowd singing that song. Yeah. I mean... Were you? It, yes. It was the most exciting time i mean you just went you just loved it the the energy was staggering and of course there's nothing like scouse humor it's just the best and um you know by the way i I wandered into the cavern club and saw the silver beetles oh my god yeah i know (laughs) so hey i i feel like um Blessed, blessed. That was an amazing time. I thought every city had 3,000 groups. I'm going, what do you mean they don't have them? Where are they in Leeds? They don't have any here. Manchester? Well, they got the Hollies. That's it. (laughs) Jesus, we got 3,000 groups every pub. It's amazing. My father had a pub then. You know, um, he'd have acts coming. Ken Dodd came. And did, and, and did four hours. Yeah, and got paid in cash and a piece and a sure big salmon. And okay. that went that went under the bed. Yeah, the yeah. cash went under the bed. The salmon course, didn't. But uh, but yeah, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time to be in Liverpool and uh, to be part of the Shankly um, revolution and to see these greats, you know, Ron Yates and St John and all these amazing. I mean, Tommy Smith, God, the hard man. They were brilliant, you know, and um, it was such a great ride. And then I think I was doing a movie in the Pyrenees and I was with James Mason and on this little television in a bar. I'm watching them win, you know, the European Cup. Oh, my God. And it was like, Jesus, it was uh, just so amazing. (laughs) And, and, you know, that that run was incredible. And uh, thanks to this great man... Shanks and his philosophy has stayed with this team, and that's why I love this team. It's not like other teams. This is a family, and I think, you know, uh, John Henry and Co. They they get it. I I, I must. Uh, the owners are amazing. Really, they're amazing. They've, uh, you know, they've been really true to their word, which is shocking in a way. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't believe they're just going to you know ditch us when they make a billion going to strip the assets strip the club no, and, yeah, no. None, of, none of that so far so far but hopefully yeah. fingers crossed uh, yeah. Malcolm McDowell I could talk to you about Clockwork Orange Caligula time after time and Liverpool Football Club all day long but I have to let you go it's been a pleasure thank you so much you bet thank you and that was Malcolm McDowell 
If you're interested in seeing The Clockwork Orange when it's back on the big screen, you can find your nearest cinema playing the movie at www.clockworkorangetickets.co.uk. The BFI Southbank Stanley Kubrick season runs throughout April and May as well. Check out the BFI website for more details on that. And Stanley Kubrick, the exhibition opens at the Design Museum on the 26th of April and it runs until the 17th of September and includes costumes and props from A Clockwork Orange. I wonder if Malcolm McDowell's own cricket box is part of that. If you don't already listen to the Empire Podcast, it is out every single Friday. Today's episode features Shazam star Zachary Levi. And keeping Peel for spoiler specials, Jordan Peel talking about us is already out there. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll have spoiler specials for the likes of Shazam and Avengers Endgame. Right, that's it for me. I am off. Thanks for listening. Potty well, my brothers. Potty well. Potty well. 